Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and won't be mentioning the Carabao Cup. I'm Kevin Day and he is Kieran Maguire on a one-hour loan deal from Liverpool University. Hello, Kieran. How are you? I'm, I'm very good, thank you, Kevin. I saw my first live football match for seven months last night and, God, I just realised how much I love the game. Who did, who did you go and see? Uh, it was Hassett versus Stenning in the Southern Combination. Uh, you, you turned up, you, you paid six quid. It, it was, I mean, to be fair to the FA, they'd given a grant to the club so they could take the money using one of those little machines, so you know, no cash passing hands. Um, and the linesman was wearing Sondico football boots, which took me back to the 1980s. Nice. Was he one of those slightly podgy, overweight linesmen? He, he, yes, he, he was clearly there for the fee rather than the football. Yeah, yeah, the sort of chap who 15 years ago thought he'd be in the Premier League by now and is instead running up and down hassocks and standing while you say sarcastic things at him. Uh, Kieran, it's, it's Thursday which and it's it's news day and there's a lot of it and quite a lot of it isn't isn't good. So I want to start by way of a sorbet with uh, a very good news story if you are a Wolves fan. Uh, and I'm quoting here from their official site, and they announced this yesterday. Wolves are proud to announce that they have their first testicle shaving partner. Yes, and, and I thought I thought that the partner would have probably gone for Forest instead of Wolves. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's good that this particular... And I worked on that one, Kevin. I worked on that <laughs> no, one, no, as you can sorry. imagine. I should have told my face to react better, shouldn't I? I beg your pardon. <laughs> Uh, but this is actually following on from what we saw in the MLS a few months ago. Uh, and it is clear that sponsors are targeting particular demographics. And uh, you know, jesting aside, uh, you know, male testicular issues are, are, are very concerning. Uh, men aren't testing them out enough. So, you know, if, if you want to, uh, if this, this encourages blokes to take a bit more uh, concern uh, over their crown jewels because, uh, you know, you don't want to get any nasty diseases, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I imagine the Baroness probably responded in a similar way to Ali when I casually said, oh, Wolves have got an official shaving partner. Just don't even think about it. Um, Now, our first story is a a very bad one, if not um, one that we didn't expect to have to talk about at some stage because uh, Amar Akadi has been playing brinkmanship with the future of Macclesfield Town for quite some time, and and yesterday it's he well he lost basically, but he didn't lose. The fans lost, didn't they? So uh, the club was wound up in the high court, and but that's the end of it now. Is it Phoenix time? Well, M- Macclesfield Town have been officially wound up in the high court. They they had debts of over half a million pounds. Uh, we, we we said on on more than one occasion that uh, I think the EFL were anxious that. Uh, if Macclesfield went went bust, it wasn't on their watch, mm. uh, and effectively re- Macclesfield were relegated, sort of death of a thousand cuts, uh, given the number of points deductions the club had last season. 
it's a tragedy for all concerned. Uh, and there's people who have lost their jobs. There's people in the back office. There's people who who mow the grass. There's people who sell programs who who get a few quid each time that they do this. But Macclesfield Town recruited 12 players over the summer uh, before this winding up order took place. So it, it does appear that uh, you know Mr. Alcardi had, had managed to persuade some people that it was still full steam ahead. I, I, that beggars belief, Kieran. That they were, a they're allowed to do that while this was hanging over them, but how could he convince? That's that's twelve players who probably would have been safe in the contract at other clubs, now out of a job and not likely to get any money. I, I did, it's astonishing that that happened, isn't it? Um, it, it is astonishing. Uh, I think there's desperate times for all concerned. Yeah, we know that fourteen hundred professional players were out of contract during the summer. So therefore, yeah, any contract is a contract. Uh, remember that Macclesfield had hoped to get some form of reversal of uh, some of their points deductions, uh, but that clearly hadn't worked and they were kicked out of the EFL. The, uh, they had a brand new manager in, in Tim Flowers. You know, you and I can remember him playing for, for Blackburn back in their glory days. And, he, went, and it's, he, went, uh, he went to school with Ali. Oh, did he? Yeah, as uh, we never failed to remind him whenever Palace played a club he was playing for. Oh, look, there's your boyfriend. So you go, I just went to school with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's uh, yeah, it, it's tragic news. You know, yeah. what, what happens from here um, is, is a liquidator will be appointed. Um, and the job of the liquidator is the first thing that they do is that they cancel all the employment contracts. So people are out of a job. Um, and then they will look to sell the assets of the club. So that's going to be presumably be the ground. Um, is there an opportunity for a Phoenix club? Well, yes, there is. But uh, you know, where are they going to start playing football? Because Moss Road or Moss Lane uh, won't necessarily be sold for football. We don't know what the position is in terms of the offers made to the liquidator. Um, but it's part of history and heritage. You know, uh-huh. I've, I've been to the ground. You've been to the uh-huh. ground. Yeah. Um, and it's it's another brick in the wall of football, which is being taken down one by one. Uh, you know the the amount of money which I think was owed to HMRC was around about half a million pounds, or or, or in other words, uh, you know six sevenths of Gareth Bale's pay packet for a week. Yeah, it's um, I don't give a stuff about Amara Cowdy to be honest. But uh, one of my favourite match of the day two trips was for an FA Cup game uh, when Macclesfield travelled down to. Chelsea, and I'm just thinking about those brilliant people I spent four hours on the coach with, uh, getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go with them. Some of the nicest, funniest people I've ever met, and their football club is gone. And it's it's, it's just one of those. I think it's back in 1947 they became Macclesfield Town because the the community contributed to saving them back then. And it's just and it's just final, isn't it? There's no. There's no, there's no appeal. There's no back out. There's no way out of this. It's just gone. If, if it's if it's a high court winding up order, I, I think they're dead. Yeah, it, it could. They they've had so many last chances because yeah, originally yeah. this was scheduled for the fifteenth of June. They managed to yeah. get a three month stay of execution. Uh, HMRC have a job to do. Yeah. You know, on our behalf, in yeah. terms of collecting taxes, so yeah, we we can't blame the government. It's the people at the at the top of the club, Amar Al Khadi, who, by all accounts, uh, he was never seen at the ground. He only used to sort of uh, contact people by WhatsApp message, um, and clearly he'd lost interest. He, he, I think he'd been involved with the club since around about two thousand and five, 
Uh, you know, Macclesfield have been in and out of the EFL and the National League. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a tragedy. And also for you know, other clubs who are due to play them this season. Yeah, yeah. But they they've now got missed uh, mismatches in in their their planning. I, I know matches are taking place behind closed doors at present, but it, it just devalues the the National League as, as the destruction of Berry and what happened to Bolton mm. at the start of last season did with the EFL. I think the credibility of the game is suffering once more. Well, on on that note, the behind closed doors note, there is better news for some teams in League One, League Two, because the government have given the go-ahead for pilot schemes to take place this weekend. Obviously not for clubs that are in areas where there's local lockdowns, but there will be people watching league football this weekend, which is uh, something to be thankful for, isn't it? For yes, the, club, I mean, it, for the it, clubs it, in particular, obviously. It, it, is, it is at relatively short notice, but short notice is better than not playing at all. Um, my understanding is that clubs can apply to the EFL who are, have been working with the government, so you've got to give them some credit there. Um, the, the capacity is going to be limited to 1,000. I think it would have potentially been a wee bit higher, mm. but because uh, things in, in terms of COVID have deteriorated, uh, the government has, uh, has, has capped the limits uh, uh, lower than anticipated. Whether clubs will make any money with crowds of 1,000 uh, is open to debate because you're going to have to open up the turnstiles. You're going to have to have contact tracing uh, that you'll have to make sure that sanitization is, is available. Certainly my experience at the non-league match last night was that everything was, if, if you went into the catering area, everything was you know, in, in one direction, follow the arrows. It was quite a slow experience, but it was still football. Um, and you know, I think everybody's hoping and praying that uh, these are a success. Uh, I think clubs can apply to the EFL for uh, to be granted as one of the pilot schemes. And if they're a success, then we can take things on a step further and further. Uh, clearly, uh, I think uh, Daniel Levy sort of intimated if it's limited to a thousand in the Premier League, then, then there's no point uh, in opening up uh, at, at a ground such as Spurs. So we'll have to wait to see what's happened when when the, uh, you know, the, the government and the football authorities get round the table on the back of what happens this weekend. And I know from uh, listening to phone-ins, not just football phone-ins, but phone-ins on, on the radio, there are some people confused by fans being allowed back. They say, well, hang on, I can only meet five mates in a pub, uh, but suddenly I'm allowed to go to a football game. And so, You live down there in leafy Sussex, Kieran. I live up here in Concretey, Norbury. And, and if you and I were to meet, I wouldn't go to Brighton in a million years unless... I really, really had to. You wouldn't want to come to Crawley, and so we might meet in Crawley, for example. We might say, "Let's go, let's go and meet in Crawley and watch Crawley play." Now, this time last week, we wouldn't be able to do that. But Crawley is effectively a suburb of Gatwick Airport, so we wouldn't be able to go to Gatwick Airport. But we would be able to get off a train at, at Gatwick Airport, go through some turnstiles, essentially, then go through some turnstiles at Gatwick Airport and queue up for for hours to go, to go through security, which are turnstiles again. And then we'd be allowed to get on a, a closed aeroblock, metal airbox and fly. You know, you'd go to Dubai, I imagine, to buy some gold for the for the Baroness. So all those things are allowed to happen, but we wouldn't have been allowed to go. So it it, it makes no sense. People go, well, we can only meet six people. But, you know, a thousand people is a lot more than 30 people, which we could only meet last week. So they, it's, it's the same as this. We've got to get people back in football grounds, especially at the lower level, because... They, they thrive on matchday income. And I know a 1,000 is not enough. Gloucester Rugby Club, for example, have said we can't survive on a 1,000 people. But a 1,000 people is a start, and it's a 1,000 more people than this time last weekend. So I just, you know, we hope and pray that it, it works. And 
fans have got their part to play in this as well, in acting responsibly when they can get into grounds. And, and the clubs are ready. I spoke to Phil Alexander, the CEO of Sellers Park, last week. He said, you know, for the players, it's the safest place to be. And he said, well, we've made it that way for the fans as well on match day. They're ready to go. So let's let's basically let's go. Um, it, it's a big day for Charlton uh, today. Um it's a court hearing about the club ownership. We were we were due to speak to some of the Charlton, um, I was going to say agitators, but that is the right word, actually, some of the Charlton fans who have been campaigning. But um, it was decided that legally we probably shouldn't jeopardise any court hearing by being potentially controversial. What are the judges being asked to decide about Charlton Athletic here and when will they do so? Well, what, what has happened is that the present owners of Charlton Football Club or Charlton Athletic Football Club Limited, which is a company called East Street Investments, has agreed to sell the club to um, a, uh, a Danish gentleman called Thomas Sangard, who's based in the US. Um, but previous to that, they'd agreed to sell the club to Paul Elliott. Um, who's a who's a businessman, as he describes himself, but he failed the EFL owners and directors test. Um, he claims that he has invested significant sums in Charlton Athletic, um, and by doing so, he prevented them from going bust earlier this summer. Now, yet neither of us in a position to confirm or or, or deny that particular issue. Um, he says he's made his investments via a company called Lex Dominus Limited. I've looked at Lex Dominus's accounts. This is a company which has got £100 in a bank account. So, wow. you know, to, to, uh, to invest uh, substantial sums in, in, uh, in Charlton Athletics seems, seems a little bit strange. Um, but what Paul Elliott has done is he's applied to the court for an injunction to prevent Thomas Sangard taking over the club, uh, because he says that, that he's, he's been unfairly uh, treated in terms of the owners and directors test. He should therefore be allowed to buy the club. Uh, Thomas Sangard, uh, he's posted that, and, and this is something which we've suggested ourselves in, in respect of deals, that he's put money into uh, an escrow account, effectively somewhere where he can't uh, get, get his hands on it. He's, he's put in sufficient sums to cover the costs of running Charlton Athletic for the next 12 months as a goodwill gesture. Um, so there's lots of finger pointing. Uh, in the meantime, Charlton can't effectively sign players because they don't know, you know they've got no money to do so. Um, and, and things are taking place in courts where they should be taking place on the football field, just as we've seen in respect of Macclesfield Town. Um, South End United, they, they had a winding up order a few days ago, which has been kicked down the road again. There's far too much of this taking place uh, in, in respect of football. I, th- I believe that South End United are subject to a transfer embargo um, because they've not been paying the wages or some, not been paying some bills, potentially. Uh, it, it's, it's terribly messy. Um, you know, th- this, this should be a 15, 20 minute podcast where we take the mickey out of people uh, and and we turn up every week now, twice a week for an hour uh, and feeling like the Grim Reapers. In the, in the wider world of business, is is this sort of dispute over ownership settled in court? Um, It it can be, but remember in in most businesses, you don't have an owners and directors test. So normally the first offer you'd be accept would be accepted when somebody was selling a company. Football is a unique industry. Uh, you know, partly for good reasons, partly for not good reasons. Um, and, and that's why increasingly it seems to be, 
you know, the accountants and lawyers and how good your accountants and lawyers are, which becomes more important than your centre forward or the new goalkeeper or the new manager or whatever. What's your instinct on the outcome of this? Um, I, I suspect that Paul Elliott won't succeed, but I think that this case could take a few days to resolve, uh, which is delaying things in terms of recruitment. Remember, we're now only, what, two two to three weeks away from the end of the transfer window. So it's making Lee Boyer's job that much more difficult because until the ownership issues are resolved, then he can't do his job in, in terms of trying to put together the quality of the squad for, for the forthcoming season. So the football club loses, the fans lose, Lee Boyer loses and so on. Uh, well, hopefully as soon as the judges made this announcement, we'll get those Charlton fans on the pod uh, and then there will be some piss taking here and if you're missing the piss taking we'll get some Charlton fans on and inevitably there will be some piss taking uh, I may have mentioned the chap who threw a bolt at me once at a Charlton game and then assured me that he was throwing it towards me not at me we, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but there's also a potential big day ahead uh, just a bit further along the Thames I wasn't going to say up but I never I can't tell the difference between up and down the Thames so we'll say along the Thames uh, a reported bid of £400 million for West Ham from an American consortium. Any details on that? Um, all, all we know is that uh, Golden Sullivan have a fairly toxic relationship with the West Ham fan base. Um, if, if you go to Karen Brady's website, they they turned down an £800 million mm. offer uh, some time ago. And I suspect that they have been regretting that ever since because it seemed... You know, buying what, what were they buying? Because you're not buying you're not buying London Stadium. That, that's no, owned no. by the that's owned by the council. Um, so it, it's uh, it's it's paper talk at present. There's there's no doubt. I think that they will sell for the right price. Uh, I, I think they've been a bit too starry eyed in the past. Uh, but as, as we've said, with with in terms of the relationship between Golden Sullivan and the West Ham fan base, they they took them away from uh, the bowling ground from Upton Park. And, and they made promises which they've not delivered on. Uh, you know, the fans mm. weren't over happy about it because it, it is a fairly antiseptic uh, walk to the ground. You know, you and I have both uh, gone as away fans to, to Upton Park, and it was proper football, a uh, proper oh, right, football yeah. atmosphere, great place to watch the game. And boy, was it noisy at times as well. Um, what, what they've replaced it with is is anodyne. Um, and that's not, not a reflection on the fans. It's a reflection on the fact that it's an athletics track. Mm. Um, so Golden Sullivan haven't upped, upped the standards of what's happened, although they, they, do, they have spent money. I mean, they, again, it's classic case of spending money but not spending money well. I believe one of the sons of the two owners, he's now in charge of the women's team or something of that nature. So it's, there's a little bit too, too much nepotism. It's, it's not how football should be run in a professional environment. They had spent money in the past, but very little investment this summer, which I know got some alarm bells ringing from West Ham fans. And the, the you know, when the manager and the captain publicly fall out over uh, not selling a player, it's, 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 it doesn't seem quite right at West Ham somewhere, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, now, all of the Carabao Cup matches until the fifth round, uh, which are not shown on TV, will be made available to stream. I did say we weren't mentioning the Carabao Cup, didn't I? But oh, I, I reluctantly agree this is a news story. So, yes, if you so wish and your club is still in the Mickey Mouse tournament, you can stream it if it's not on telly. 
Yes. So if, if you want to watch your team play in the Carabao Cup, and again, for your credit here to the EFL, they, they've managed to get streaming available. And you're going to be charged £10 per household, um, which is... I'm not. Uh, And that money is going to be split 50-50 between the home and the away team. Um, Having said that, um, there's going to be a broadcaster's rebate of £25 million because um, the the two-leg semi-final, that's that's been converted into one leg. And also to compensate, I I think, the the broadcasters, i.e. Sky, for for the fact that uh, you know, this alternative method of distribution is being used, so therefore, if if perhaps the big match uh, that was being broadcast live was, um, is it Lincoln City have got Liverpool in the next yeah. round? Well, you know, some fans might watch it, but now they might be watching their own team instead. So that's going to impact upon Sky's viewing figures. Uh, it looks as if that twenty five million pounds is going to be borne though just by Premier League clubs. Um, rather than the EFL clubs as well. So, you know, that's, that's fair play to them. Um, the Carabao Cup is a funny one. There's, for I can make out, there's no prize money in it until you get to the final. So the only money that clubs are going to be generating is, is going to be uh, through the, this streaming. How successful that's going to be. Uh, you know, we're, we, we've got Portsmouth on Thursday night, for example, which I think is on Sky, but even if it wasn't, would I pay a tenner? Um, it, it's it's difficult to get excited about it when when the clubs themselves don't take the competition seriously. So if the clubs aren't going to do it, then why expect us to part with a tenner? Hmm. Now our next news story it says here: uh, Premier League teams join the Carabao Cup this week. Producer guy really is taking the piss, isn't he? He's he really wants to hope that Palace don't beat Man United on Saturday because he's going to get a week of hell next week if we do. <laughs> Why is this uh, even? A, why, well, why is it even a news story? Oh, hang on. Apparently, I'll tell you why. Apparently, the winners will enter a new European competition next season. Well, good for them. I hope they enjoy many a continental breakfast. <laughs> That's from the Vispranosaurus, actually. But I'll, 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 t- I'll tell you the which, details which about that. Bre- <laughs> <laughs> is it one of your uh, entry? I was going to say entries, but that'd be wrong in the. Uh, in the no, yeah. no, no, it's not. Okay, no. all right. Um, yeah, this is the Europa. Conference League. So it's <laughs> what a Who wants name. Who wants to be in that? Yeah, you can imagine getting half and half scarf for that next year. <laughs> um, and the reason for this is the at uh, presently the Europa League has forty eight clubs in it. So what you, you, what UEFA are doing, and this is where I start to get a little bit twitchy. I think is this is this the start of something more insidious? Mm. We're now going to have a Champions League of thirty two clubs a Europa League of 32 clubs and a Conference League of 32 clubs. If you win the Conference League, you automatically qualify for the following year's Europa League. A bit like if you win the Europa League, you then qualify for the Champions League. Now, uh, the next big deal in in, uh, European football is going to start in seasons 24 to 25, and that's where the potential for some form of promotion and relegation on a bigger scale, which could ring fence positions for the big clubs, could ta- start to take place. So, you know, I'm, my, my concern is here, is that is this the start of such an environment um, that the winners of the um, of the Carabao Cup, um, they will only qu- they, they will only um 
get into the preliminary rounds of the Conference League. And then from the preliminary rounds, you go into one of these daft group stages where you are playing uh, the winners of the Albanian FA Cup, FA Cup on a Thursday night. Uh, yeah, never mind having crowd limits of £1,000, whether you can engender sufficient interest to get a 1,000 people to, to turn up, I think will be a challenge. Um, it, it also means uh, that if you finish seventh in the Premier League, you know, Thursday nights could could be could all of a change now. Uh, oh, it's gone quiet. So I presume we've stopped talking about the Carabao <laughs> Cup, have we? Yes. I was just finishing off my third game of Norton Crosses. Um, uh, it, it wouldn't be a Thursday, Kieran, without um, Wigan or Derby in it. Derby fans, it's not you. Unfortunately, it's it's Wigan, and more unsettling news for Wigan fans. Um, well, it's it, it comes back to. Wigan's former owners, IEC, the International Entertainment Corporation, who own hotels stroke casinos in the Philippines. Once again, I'm uh, I'm indebted to our Asia correspondent, Nigel Lee, the, the man that gives us all the hot news from Hong Kong. Um, and he spotted that this company, IEC, perhaps have revealed why they had to sell Wigan in the first place, but how they managed to find a sucker to buy the club <laughs> is, is another matter. They, they've published a profits warning to the, on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. They're anticipating losses of between 300 to 350 million Hong Kong dollars. So you divide that by 10 to convert it into sterling. Um, but it does also say in this press release, which has gone to the, the stock exchange, that there are issues, uh, there are problems in what they refer to as the disposal group, i.e. the football club, mm. um, and, and they're unable to confirm some of the numbers involved um, effectively because in order to do that, that they need to correspond with the, the Wigan administrators who, who are not cooperating. They've said you know, our job is to, to focus on the sale of Wigan Football Club and therefore you know, we, we really couldn't give a stuff, even at £400 an hour. Um, for uh, helping you with your audit. So this means that IEC could go up before the, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and get some form of penalty there. And frankly, they're welcome to it because they're, 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 they're the very strange uh, background as to the sale of the club. You know How they managed to force persuade somebody to pay £41 million for the club mm. is beyond me. At some stage, when the Wigan saga is is done and dusted, I think you and I and Nigel are going to have to sit down and do some proper investigating here because, like, like we said before, every time we mention Wigan, someone's got to bring this story to light and how it's allowed to happen, basically. Um, and in, in an odd twist, and one with some sad nostalgia, there's a, another story about a previous owner and a company run by the previous owner of Berry, Stuart Day, has published its administrator's report. Why is this significant? Well, um, first of all, £438 an hour uh, charged by the administrator. We, we are clearly in, in the wrong. Uh, but, they, but they do break that down. Apparently, they're now charged by the six minute, which, which yeah, I think, well, yeah, there's sometimes when I've paid things for things by an hour and I wish I just paid for six minutes. But that, that's, that's for another pod, of course. Um, what, what happened here was that Berry Football Club apparently – owed £7 million to this company called Medico. Um, and this, uh, or, or Medico owed £7 million to Berry Football Club. It's all very, very messy. Uh, what sort but of company is Medico, Kieran? Sorry, what sort of, sorry. What Medico sort of is the company uh, run by Stuart Day, 
who was the previous owner of Berry Football right, Club, okay. and he sold Berry Football Club to, for one pound to Steve Dale. Now, Medico went bust, um, and the administrators were selling off uh, the debt, to, and, and, it was, um, and it sold a seven million pound debt uh, to this. This is where it starts to get very, very sort of incestuous to Steve Dale's daughter's boyfriend. Holy shit. And they sold a seven million pound debt for 70 grand. And Steve Dale, um, he guaranteed that the 70 grand would be paid. So he paid the first installment of 20 grand, one in one further installment, and then he's not paid anything since. And now the administrators said, we don't think we can recover the money from him. But he used this to force through what's referred to as a creditor's voluntary arrangement at Berry Football Club, which has been called into question uh, as to the, the legitimacy of some of the debts. So it's it's all legal. It's all messy. It's all proving to be very expensive. But uh, unfortunately, you know, Steve Dale is playing the system as he's always played it. He, he said one of the reasons he can't uh, pay, pay the or pay these outstanding instalments is, is due to ill health. And every time that somebody... Uh, points the finger at him. He says he's had cancer. Well, we don't. We don't wish any, you know, uh, you know, any any illness or or badness upon anybody. But he, you know, how how he seems to just use this as as a prop whenever he's asked for money uh, does seem uh, very confusing. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion. You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure many of the people involved in this story are nice people. I'm sure the the daughter and the boyfriend are lovely people. But these pricks are playing about with people's football clubs, and it's uh, uh, Newcastle United have bought out the, the proper big legal guns, Kieran, to represent them against the Premier League in relation to the recent failed takeover. Yes, so, so this is litigation between the Premier League and Newcastle United. Now, uh, Newcastle United are employing Blackstone Chambers, who are one of the, the top legal companies 
uh, in the country. Um, and they've gone for the number one man. They've gone for our friend Nick DeMarco, who is going to he has he has promised to come on the show one day when he's not too busy, when he doesn't have conflicts of interest in, in ongoing cases. Uh, he is a very smart guy, Nick. He represented QPR against the EFL, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby. He, he was the guy that got Stevenage off a points deduction for cancelling a match, which re- relegated Macclesfield and yeah. Macclesfield. And now, so, you know, everything is you know, elbow to shoulder joint to everything's linked. Um, but what's what's interesting for me here is that when I looked at the the press release, this was saying it's to do with the Premier League rejecting the takeover of Newcastle United by PIF. Now, the Premier League have said, well, we've not rejected it. We've just not got round to making a decision. Hmm. So it's all going to revolve around the owners and directors test. Um, There's going to be expert witnesses. There's going to be thousands and thousands of documents uh, taken. And I suspect it's going to be very, very expensive as well. Um, So whether or not this could be used as a means of getting the PIF deal back on the table, uh, and Mike Ashley does seem very keen for that to go through, um, is is open to question, or or whether he's just seeing his ass with the Premier League um, and is trying to get some compensation from them for for preventing him from from what he says is normal course of business. Um, well, preventing him from making a lot of money as well, which is um, yeah, recent days again. Listening to uh, phone-ins, football phone-ins, and going onto fans forums, Newcastle fans are, are very upset about this, and Newcastle fans are very upset about people that are criticising Mike Ashley for taking this legal action. And I, I, I can't blame them. I mean, actually, I think it would have been fun to have the Northeast challenging the traditional power bases. Um, but, but I, yeah, Newcastle fans use the word double standards a lot, and they're, they're right as well. No one can take the moral high ground here about you know, clubs being owned by regimes. You know, we've got clubs that have got Chinese involvement. We've got clubs that have got Abu Dhabi involvement. So it's, it seems odd that the line in the stand was drawn at Newcastle United. So I don't, I don't blame them because I think they're missing out. And I, I'd be interested. That I'm glad to hear you say that one of the outcomes is a potential Saudi takeover still. I never thought yeah, I'd ever say Never that. say never when it comes to business deals, is my experience. All right. Well, there's another potential takeover story at a lower level, but it's an interesting one, Kieran, in the context of many discussions we've had recently about fan ownership and how far up the league it can go. Wrexham are currently owned by the Supporters Trust, but they could be selling the club. Uh, yes. So um, this has uh, – they're presently – uh, effectively, a Phoenix club, Wrexham, uh, and I, I remember going to to Wrexham for one of the Fans United days, uh, and they were, you know, so hospitable. They were absolutely wonderful. They they played Bristol City that day, and and there were fans from every club. And you know, this is one of the good things about football. You know, that they were buying us drinks. They were they were. They, they wanted to pay for us to go to pay our admission into the ground because we've been going around with buckets for fans united. Um, they're presently owned by the supporters trust. They have been approached effectively to, to sell the club for a nominal sum to two individuals who are committing to investing two million pounds into the club with a view to trying to get uh, Wrexham back into the EFL uh, you know, by, by increasing the player bu- playing budget. Um, but I'm pleased to see that this is this is going to be done democratically. So there's going to be a meeting held uh, with the fan base on the 22nd of September. 
people are going to be allowed to voice their opinions and then you know some form of decision will be made we've seen with both Portsmouth and uh, Wickham Wanderers where they have been owned by supporters trusts and effectively they've gone back into private ownership uh, you know being owned by a fan base it isn't a silver bullet necessarily you know there are many good things you know the, you know, the likes of Motherwell and um, Exeter have done fantastic work within the community as well. So, you know, we, you know, we are certainly behind the, the, the concept of fan involvement. Um, but there's a limit to, you know, how much fans can put in their pockets, especially at a time when clubs have got no money, uh, which was partly why, uh, both, both Wickham and, uh, Pompey were taken over themselves by private individuals. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a tough decision to make. Do you go with your heart or do you go with your head in, in respect of this particular one? And uh, the the people at the Supporters Trust have been very open and I say, yeah, we do this out of love. Um, if somebody more professional or if somebody with a, with a more of a business orientated background can devote more time to it, um, then then we don't mind stepping aside. We, we want Wrexham AFC to be in existence in 10 or 20 years time because it's a legacy issue far more than a you know I'm I'm in control issue. So you know, fair play to them for that. I remember going there in 1983. I think it was we won one nil, and the Rex fans were very friendly then. I have to say, uh, mainly reminding us how long it was going to take us to get home. <laughs> uh, and they were right. Um, now the Premier League, Kieran, have rejected a request from the EFL for a share in Fulham's parachute money to distribute to clubs in lower divisions. Is there a precedent for this sort of request? What happens to parachute money when a club uh, is promoted back? There's no precedent. Um, what has happened, Fulham were promoted to the Premier League. They came straight back down. That entitled them to two years of parachute payments. So they picked up £41 million in 2019-20, and they were entitled to a further, further £34 million in 2020-21. Now, because they they went straight back up to the Premier League. We've now got this pot of money sitting round. Uh, according to the the paperwork, according to the small print that, that I've read, uh, that money then goes back to the Premier League and it's split evenly between the 20 clubs. So, yeah, that's worth yeah, about, about £1.7 million per club. So you can see why the Premier League clubs are thinking, well, we'd like to have that. Um, the EFL, if this story is correct, they've gone to the Premier League and said, "Look, you know, un- you know unusual certain t- unusual times, extenuating circumstances." Um, but I think they're also trying to get the government on board. I think that the government is trying to um, strong arm the Premier League into coming up with some form of assistance package for clubs further down the pyramid. So. Uh, that, that, that has apparently been rejected by Richard Masters and the Premier League clubs who rather have that money themselves. I think the EFL are saying our clubs are in greater need than yours. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Well, I think the EFL are probably right, aren't they? Um, Juventus have announced big, big losses. Are these COVID-related? Um, y- yes, they are. If, if you think that uh, Juventus won Serie A, Last season, again, they were in the Champions League and they got to the knockout phase of that. And they just announced losses, which are up 75% to to 71 million euros, which is why they've been so quiet in the transfer market this summer, uh, you know, as have Barcelona, as have Real Madrid. And I've been doing quite a few shows for both Manchester United and 
Liverpool fans and the first thing they say, well, why are we not spending loads of money? Well, you, you've got to have money to be able to spend it. Um, and and th- this is a message which I think some fans are perhaps not, you know, not, not taking on board. If, if, if the dominant club in Italian football is losing huge sums of money, then it's going, it's going to be the same case elsewhere. Um, and, and Juventus's wage bill was down because they, they weren't paying uh, as many bonuses for, for progression in, in the Champions League as the previous season. But even so, they've got big losses. Um, expect to see this across the whole of Europe um, as, as clubs uh, start to publish their accounts over the next, next few months. Let's, let's take a trip down under here. We haven't been to Australia for a while. Um, a story that one Australian tabloid is called the A-League Wage War. Australian clubs have, or at least threatened to, withhold 50% of players' wages. What's the story? Well, um, and, and the A-League is, in fact, uh, another heading from the Viz Profanosaurus. I, I'd recommend that to anybody uh, for, uh, for an explanation of, of some of the more obscure issues in life. Um, this this is quite similar to what we see happening in the US between uh, franchise owners and players, which can often end in strike. So um, as a result of COVID, uh, Australian A-League football clubs or soccer clubs, whatever you want to re- refer to them as, um, they have been losing money. Uh, club owners have therefore tried to unilaterally force through 50% pay cuts and the players are saying, well, that's not acceptable. Mm. So um, where this is going to lead, whether this is going to get referred to FIFA, uh, and and if if so, uh, well, God God help them all, um, I'm I'm not certain, but uh, it it is indicative of uh, a very different approach taken to what we've seen here uh, in England where clubs have been sort of you know tickling players under the chin when it comes to wage cuts mm. and I think only Arsenal in the Premier League managed to get that through uh, but clearly the the approach taken in Australia is different I think it is more of a franchise based system uh, and therefore club owners are more focused on the bottom line rather than winning trophies whereas it's the alternative here uh, in Europe um I think this could be a really interesting test case. Uh, if it does go through in Australia, no doubt there will be club owners in other countries saying, well, they've been able to do it. Let's uh, let, let's see if we can force that through. Perhaps players also have to uh, be realistic uh, in terms of their, their wage demands. Uh, but uh, you know, my understanding of the A-League, it, it's not particularly well remunerated to begin with. It's probably the equivalent of League Two. So therefore, to expect players to take 50% pay cuts uh, you, you can understand why they're reticent. I'm fairly certain, Kieran, in the in the depths of my memory from early pods that we did. Um, although, as you know, I've got full on COVID amnesia. I don't remember much before lockdown, but um, I'm fairly certain that didn't you tell me once that Australian football used to be run centrally, basically by the Australian FA, and um, and then clubs became independent essentially in the last season or two and started making their own decisions. I I, I don't recall that conversation. Okay, fair enough. Uh, probably a way we might edit that out, Kieran. <laughs> God, I don't think Guy, but Guy, Guy always. Whenever I say that to Kieran, to, to Guy, we might like to drop that bit. It's got a bit fluffy. Well, no, no, listeners like the they like real life intruding. Well, you know, if you didn't if you didn't like this bit of real life intruding, just let Guy know. Um, <laughs> now, somewhere else we've not been to for a while is is Ireland. Let's go to Ireland when this is over, Kieran. I'll take you to Donegal, and you can take me to somewhere not quite as nice. Um, 
Uh, anywho, a, a, a report of this, I mean, I'm nostalgic now. We've had Berry, now we've got the FAI. This, this is just like the old days. A report into the former head of Irish football, John Delaney, reveals he ran up expenses of nearly €1 million Euros in five years. That's uh, That's not bad going, is it? That, that is, yeah. Well, and uh, certainly on our Irish tour, and I'll take you to uh, I'll take you to the farm which uh, which the family own. Where that's how I learned to milk cows, oh, um, and also how to castrate pigs. You, which you, at the age of nine isn't what you expect when you, when your mum says we're taking you on a family holiday. You, you, um, you've said some sinister things to me in my in, your, in our time together. But I, I'll take you to the farm is one of the most sinister <laughs> things you've ever said to me. I'll make sure I let people know I'm going to the farm with Kieran, just so you know if I if I don't come back. And of course you can castrate pigs, Kieran. I, I, I'm amazed. I'm just going to tick that off my checklist that I've got here in my script. Yes, you can castrate pigs. I'll tell Ali that she won't be surprised. <laughs> So yes, so yeah, five a million euros in five years. Yeah, this this is on top of his salary. So he he was paid a three hundred and sixty thousand euro salary. Um, he was given a four hundred and sixty two thousand euro exit package. And I'm always a bit suspicious on this because um, Sean Harvey, the the former head of the EFL, who if you talk to fans of Bury or Bolton or Macclesfield or any one of dozens of clubs in the EFL, probably don't have the greatest of uh, memories of Sean Harvey. He got a five hundred and eleven thousand pound payoff, so it does appear to be a football administrator is is very very lucrative. Um, but yeah, there's been an investigation into John Delaney and his credit card. Oh. Um, he ran up 125,000 euros on his credit card, including 50,000 withdrawn in cash. Now, I'm sure Bobby Numbers, your accountant, uh, he, he normally probably doesn't encourage things of that behaviour if you're trying to put those through um, against your tax returns. And, and then you start to find some of the things that John Delaney was involved with um the the FAI the Irish Football Association um paid 80,000 uh, pounds for his 50th birthday party now he did give part of that back uh, but uh, uh, you know only only a fraction um the football association of ireland also paid john delaney's girlfriend 95,000 and uh, going into some of the small print um 1000 euros for spa treatments and I Ooh. think we both know what we're talking about there, don't we, Kevin? Yes. Well, I I know what I think you're think you're think you're talking about. Um, never mind Bobby Numbers, by the way. Ali Day used to go absolutely ballistic if I ever took cash out on a credit card. She would go potty, which is one of the reasons why I have several gaps in my wallet as we speak. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, this is true. Uh, I actually put my Soho Theatre. Uh, director's card in my wallet to make it look like I had more cash cards than I've actually got, which is one. Um, we started, Kieran, by talking about uh, testicle shaving. So it would have been a nice Zen round to in, to finish on castrating pigs. But we have uh, another little story, another little sorbet, if you like, by way of ending what's been quite a serious pod. Uh, if only we'd had a schoolboy pod back in 1974, Kieran, we definitely would have been covering this story, wouldn't we? Uh, yes, this is uh, this is I think from the Yorkshire Evening Post in 1974, and it's just that uh, people say to me, "Football finance never used to exist." Mm. Um, well, this is a letter from uh, from a very unhappy Bradford City fan 
who was complaining about the price of admission going up from 25 pence to 40 pence to watch a match <laughs> and the the price of a program doubling from 5 to 10 pence and as he said in his final sentence to the letter to the local paper this means it's going to cost me an extra 20 pence a time to watch a football match and for that they can go and stuff it well i mean that would have been two pints, to be honest, at the time, probably, or at least a pint. So that's it. I, I like, I like the fact that well, there's always been. We know that, Kieran. There's always been corruption and and skullduggery going on in in football. So if you, if anybody else has historical evidence about this, but feel free to send them in. Um, as you know, my 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 dad stopped going to Palace. We turned up one season that had gone up to a fiver. And, oh, that was upset the dog. Oh, it's postman. Is that because I mentioned Palace? You trained him. To, you trained him to start barking as I mentioned Palace. <laughs> oh, he is upset. Well, I think we should. We'll, we'll we'll save the amusing story of my dad not going in because it cost a fine for another day. Um, uh, <laughs> it is ninety seven. The dogs haven't barked at a postman since nineteen seventy seven. Kieran, what's going on? Well, I, I live in a very historical town. Yes, indeed. Uh, okay, I'll I'll, be, uh, I'll I'll do my message about questions. So if you want to ask questions for our next pod or any other pod, it's questions at priceoffootball.com and I'll hand over to you, Kieran, to end this podcast. Well, thanks again, folks, for your feedback. Thanks for your reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you could, uh, if you could give that big purple button a bash um, and uh, and give us five stars, it doesn't matter what you say. Apparently, according to producer guy, so you can say whatever you want about the pair of us. We, we've got thick skins. We, it's not in there for our ego. Uh, and if you want to subscribe as well, um, you know, so you get the show as it comes out at two a.m. on a Monday and a Thursday. Um, then, then please do so. Um, but apart from that, look after yourselves, look after your testicles, guys, and uh, we'll see you soon. The price of football. I'm for the